Thank you for listening to Crossroads Community Church. At Crossroads, our mission is to be the church by exalting the glory of God, sharing and showing the love of Christ, and inviting others to be recipients of Christ's love. Now here's this week's message. Check, one, two. More technical difficulties, how's that? Better? Okay, all right. Um, let's stop and pray. <laughs> Amen. Just bow your heads for a minute, God. We, uh, we know we've, we're, we're getting the business of Sunday mornings and doing things and working, wanting everything to work, but our main focus here is to be gathered in your name as your people. So uh, with mics, without mics, with PowerPoints, without PowerPoints, with slides, without slides, uh, if everything else fails, let us just focus on just centering our hearts and minds on worshiping you this morning. Let you be exalted above all else. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. All right. Uh, yeah, uh, so we're going to just pick it up right where we left off. So God's talking about families. Uh, and it's awesome, too, because if you look, he starts, he talks about family disagreements. And then uh, he talks about family unity, right? Because, you know, a lot of us have families that are great together. Some of us have families not so great together. And then he talks about family reunion. The book of Genesis ends with this awesome family reunion with the entire nation of Israel, which is like you know, 74 or 75 people at that time, all coming back together in a place that God has called them to and prepared for them so that he can provide for them and take care of them. Now, even though they're in the land of Egypt, it's by God's doing he's prepared this place so that he can you know, spend time with them, so that they can grow. He provides for them, and he protects them. The book of Genesis ends the same way that the book of Revelation ends. Revelation a little bit more spiritual, but the book of Revelation ends with God bringing all of his people, not just the descendants of Abraham, and we talked about uh, being a descendant of Abraham isn't just being born that way, it's by faith in God, but all of God's people, all of true Israel, all those who put their faith and trust in him, coming together to spend eternity with God. And I think it's awesome the way God ends that book, but here's the thing this morning, uh, for the sake of our time together, uh, I'm going to consolidate and jump around, even though we've been going chronologically chronologically through Genesis, I'm going to jump around, uh, and we're going to consolidate a couple of things into one discussion. And it starts with the breakdown of some dysfunctional families, for lack of a better term. And we looked at this verse before, uh, where uh, it's about God heard the boy crying. This is Genesis chapter 21. And, and Hagar is with her son, and they've been kind of kicked out of Abraham's house reluctantly. Abraham didn't want to do it. Sarah said, hey, let them go because the children weren't getting along, and there was a lot of hostility. Uh, but God heard the boy crying. That's Ishmael. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, what is the matter, Hagar? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Lift the boy up and take him by the hand, for I will make him into a great nation. So God says, hey, even though... Uh, Abraham, this isn't your and Sarah's child. You didn't, you know, weren't faithful to what I said. This is your and Hagar's child. But I'm still going to honor my promise to make your descendants into a great nation. Right? And then in the next verse, he says this. Uh, God was with the boy as he grew up. He lived in the desert and became an archer. While he was living in the desert of Paran, his mother got a wife for him. So, um, God honors his, 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 his commitment to Abraham, and he actually does build Ishmael 
uh, into a great nation. Now, Ishmael uh, has 12 sons that become known as the 12 tribes of Ishmael. We're all familiar with the 12 tribes of Israel, but there are also 12 tribes of Ishmael. And in the very next verse, <laughs> this is what it said. In Genesis 25, this is the account of the family line of Abraham's son, Ishmael, whom Sarah's slave, Hagar, the Egyptian, bore to Abraham. These are the names of the sons of Ishmael. Listen in the order of their birth. Nebo, and, and I've been practicing this, but I still might mess it up. Neboeth, the firstborn of Ishmael, Cater, Adbeel, Mibsam, and then he goes on and on and on, uh, and he lists 12 different sons of Ishmael. So Ishmael has these 12 children, right, that become the 12 tribes. And now uh, in the next verse, though, he says this, his descendants settled in the area from Havilah, the descendants of Ishmael, to Shear, near the eastern border of Egypt as you go toward Asher. And they lived in hostility toward all the tribes related to them. So bear with me for a second. So uh, Abraham, Isaac. Isaac is his son. Abraham, Ishmael. Ishmael gets kicked out of the house, him and his mother, Hagar, right? God still honors it, raises him up. He has 12 descendants, and it says they lived in hostility toward all the tribes around him. Now, depending upon what Bible version you read, some of them will say he lived to the east of or they lived near because that phrase, uh, it means like a violent falling out or a violence taking place near someone. And some versions will just translate it as he lived near. But the reason why the NIV translated translates it lived in hostility toward is because in the a previous verse in Genesis chapter 16, this is what we read. Genesis chapter 16, now this is before Ishmael was born, but Hagar got the boot again. This time she ran away. The angel of the Lord said to her, you are now pregnant and you will give birth to a son. You shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard of your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him, and he will live in hostility toward all of his brothers. So, again, this is, you know, their family, but they're living in hostility toward one another. They're fighting with one another. They're arguing with one another. And the Ishmaelites, God honored them, mentioned throughout the Bible. Uh, in Genesis chapter 37, uh, this is what we read. Joseph, who we'll talk about in a few weeks, was sold into slavery. When the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites, who took him to Egypt. So he was sold into slavery to them. And then in Psalm 83, uh, this is what we read about the um, Ishmaelites joining a confederacy against Israel. With one mind, they plot together. They form an alliance against you, the tents of Edom and the Ishmaelites of Moab and the Hagrites. So the Ishmaelites, even though they were family, constant, constant, fighting and hatred against their brothers. And in general, uh, although some people agree with this and some people don't, uh, the Ishmaelites are what make up what many call the 12, you know, what we read, 12 tribes of, of, of Ishmael, but they are also what many believe, and not all of them, but most of them make up many of the Arab nations that exist today. They're descendants of Ishmael. To some that even say that, you know, Muhammad traces his lineage back to Ishmael, which also traces it back to Abraham. Now, 
Isaac had two twin sons. One was Jacob, one was Esau. And he ended up spurning his birthright, and we read this in Genesis. Genesis chapter 36, this is the account of the family line of Esau. That's the brother of Jacob, and that is Edom. That's what he was called. We'll talk about that in a few weeks. Esau took his wives from the women of Canaan, Ada, daughter of Elon the Hittite, and Oholabama, daughter of Anna, and granddaughter of Zibion the Hivite, also Basimeth, daughter of Ishmael, and sister of Neboeth. So here, here, here's this family dynamic. You've got Isaac, who's, who's you know, the one God said, hey, I'm going to use your descendants to bring forth the Messiah, and all people will be blessed. Then you've got Ishmael, who feels like an outcast. And he's in constant opposition, fighting with his family, because they're family. So Isaac has two sons, Jacob and Esau. Esau ends up doing the same thing, constantly in fighting in opposition with his brother Jacob, Israel. Now, it's not that God is angry at him because he married women who weren't like of the same lineage. This is not a racism thing. This is the thing where God says, hey, when you enter into a relationship with someone, if they don't have the same ethics and morals and values as you do, someone's going to have to compromise. If your morals and values are looking this way and theirs are looking that way, someone's going to have to turn there so that there's a compromise. And God is saying, I don't want you to compromise your morals, your values, and your ethics just to be in a relationship with someone. And if you look in the next verse, uh, Solomon, who had many wives, did just that. In 1 Kings uh, chapter 11, we read, King Solomon loved many foreign women, about a thousand that we know of, uh, besides Pharaoh's daughter, Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Esau, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites. They were from nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them because they will surely turn your hearts after other gods. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. So again, the, the, the Edomites, again, because Esau went and married people, and in the verse we just looked at, married people that were opposed to the things of God, now his descendants become people who are opposed to the things of God, that God says, hey, you can't intermarry with them because they're going to turn your heart away from me. And at, for the early part of Solomon's life, steadfast, dead-on, God-following, God-honoring, ruler, leader, husband. For the majority of his adult life, turned away from God, worshipped other people, and depending upon you know, how, you, how, how you read it, there can be a case made for that joined in the sacrificing of babies to false gods because that's what some of the women he married do, did. And just like most men, if you marry someone and they're like, hey, I'm going to church, aren't you coming with me? I'm going to this, aren't you coming with me? I'm going to sacrifice babies, aren't you coming with me? Okay, dear. And that's what he did. And one of the people that turned his hearts away from God, some of them uh, were Edomites. Now, the Edomites, again, Esau and Jacob were direct brothers, same mom, same dad, but a, a lineage of fighting and hating one another to the point where, uh, in the book of Obadiah, God calls them out and says he's going to destroy them for what they did. So when Nebuchadnezzar came in, 
and ransacked Israel and destroyed it, 586 B.C. Uh, later on, this is what the prophet Obadiah uh, says to Edom or to Esau, the Edomites. He says, in that day, declares the Lord, will I not destroy the wise men of Edom, those of understanding in the mountains of Esau? And then he explains why in the next verse. He says, because of the violence against your brother Jacob, you will be covered with shame. You will be destroyed forever. On the day you stood aloft while strangers carried off his wealth and foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, you were like them. Let me explain what happened. Nebuchadnezzar came in, and we talked a little bit about this, ransacked Jerusalem, destroyed it, broke down the walls, took all the gold, destroyed the temple, uh, did some violent things to the people. It was just very brutal. And the Edomites, Esau, the, the brother of Jacob, because Israel was descendants of Jacob uh, through uh, Esau and, or excuse me, through descendants of Jacob and Esau, the Edomites, what they did was they sat and watched. And it wasn't just that. God's not going to destroy people just because you sat and watched and you didn't help. But in the next verse, it gets worse. Because this is what he says, you should not gloat over your brother in the day of his misfortune, nor rejoice over the people of Judah in the day of their destruction, nor boast so much in the day of their trouble. What they did is, while they were being ransacked, they sat on the sidelines and watched, going, yeah, get them, King Nebuchadnezzar, destroy them. And then it gets worse, because God says, you shouldn't march through the gates of my people in the day of their disaster, nor gloat over them in their calamity in the day of their disaster, nor seize their wealth in the day of their disaster. You shouldn't wait at the crossroads to cut down their fugitives, nor hand over their survivors in the day of their trouble. So not only did they sit and watch as Israel was being destroyed, and yell, yeah, get them, break down the walls, they deserve it, but then they went in and started picking through their stuff, and some of the survivors who were getting away they were like, hey, King Nebuchadnezzar, get him too. He's getting away. Now, this may not sound big to you, but imagine if you were doing that to, for lack of a better term, your nieces and your nephews as their house was being robbed. Descendants of your brother or your sister, someone's coming in, there's like a home invasion, there's children in the room. They're hurting them <laughs> and taking stuff, and you're like, hey, they got a TV in the basement. And one of the kids is hiding in the upstairs bathroom. Don't forget about him. That's what they were doing. And God reiterates with one of the first verses we read where he said, this is your brother, your family member, someone whom you're supposed to love. Now, the entire Herodian dynasty, uh, and I want to show you this picture because some of you may remember uh, King Herod. Herod the Great, if you, when we get into the, the Gospel of Luke, and it talks about King Herod, who the wise men came to him and said, hey, we're looking for Jesus, and he says, I want to find him too, go find him, and then he slaughters all of these people, and then all the other Herod people, this whole Herodian dynasty, they're Edomites. And even into the New Testament, the people that are supposed to be brothers, that are supposed to be family members, that are supposed to be loving one another, are trying to kill each other and hurt each other. 
And even though they're from the same line, and even though they have all these similarities, they're focused on all of these differences. And the same is true today, because we do this as well. Um, next slide. Uh, we also look at racial, religious, and cultural separations. And we say, well, I'm not going to associate with that person because they're a different color than me, because they look different than me, because they're a different religion than me, because they have a different culture than me. But if you think about it, if you're a Christian, we all trace our roots back to you know, Adam and Eve and Noah. We're all related. We're all brothers. And if you're an atheist and you say, I don't believe in God, then you all trace your roots back to this common you know, single-celled amoeba that crawled out of the sludge. You're still related. Every single person, it doesn't matter what your belief system is, whether it's religious or non-religious, it all looks back and says, hey, we're all related, so we're all supposed to be treating one another the same. But that's not what happens. And I'm going to take like a couple more minutes and walk you through uh, the book of Acts. If you have a Bible, open it up quickly to the book of Acts chapter 10. And this is one of my favorite passages of scripture. Here is the problem. There is no way that anyone who calls himself a Christian, and I'm not trying to manipulate anyone, can read this chapter and walk away and still look at or hate someone because they're different than them. It's impossible. God doesn't leave any room for it. And I'm going to read through part of it, and then I'm just going to summarize a lot of it for the sake of time. So in chapter 10, nope, go back to the other slide. In chapter 10, starting in verse 1, at Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion, in what was known as the Italian Regiment. And I'm going to summarize a lot of this for the sake of time. But what God does is there's a guy over here named Cornelius. He's Italian. And then later, God's going to do something in Peter's life. And, and, and note the differences between the two. In this corner is Cornelius, not corner, not like the square in office, Cornelius, who's Italian. And over here, God's going to start talking to Peter, who's Jewish. So they're different nationalities, right? And even though there might be some similarities in the way they look, here this guy looks European. This guy looks Middle Eastern. God speaks to Cornelius and he says, hey, um, um, you know, you have been praying to me and giving in my name, so now I'm going to respond to you. I want you to call for this guy named Peter. Now remember, Cornelius is an Italian guy, and he's also in what's called an Italian regiment. It's a, it's a department of the military of Rome, so his political views are he is working for the government that's oppressing Peter's nation. But God says, go call for Peter. Now, drop down to verse 9. About noon the following day, as the men were on their journey who, who were going to get Peter, that God said, go call for him. And approaching the city, Peter went up on a roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven open and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. Now, if you could imagine like a buffet table, maybe not one you're used to, but one I would love with like alligator, squirrel, uh, you know, all these weird things that people like, there's no way you're supposed to eat that. And then God speaks to Peter and says, hey, go ahead, eat these things. And Peter was like, technically, 
my culture says those are unclean. I can't do that. God, I've never done it. I'll never do it. And God says, don't call unclean what I call clean. I'm telling you to go do it. Because Peter is Jewish, which is why he's following the Jewish culture. Even though he is, you know, has a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, he's still following the Jewish culture. The Jewish culture. I can't eat these things. I have to pray at certain times of the day. And so what God is doing, he's saying, I've got to change your culture. And so what happens is the guy Cornelius sends these people to Peter. Peter says, hey, um, verse 17, was wondering about the vision. The men, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was, stopped at the gate. They called, off, called out asking if Simon, that's Peter, who was known as Peter, was staying there. Now jump over to verse 23. And it says, the next day, Peter started out with them. Because they explained, hey, we were sent by Cornelius. And in verse 23, the next day, Peter started out with them. And some of the brothers from Joppa went along. The following day, he arrived at Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them. And he had called together his relatives and his close friends. So get this. God spoke to him and said, hey, I want you to go send for Peter. So he says, great. I don't know what you're going to do, God. But whatever it is, I'm going to invite all my friends. His wife invited the book club, the wine club, the lunch club, the reading club. All of this family came. And when Peter shows up, there are all these people in the house. Right? Now, jump over to verse 34. After Cornelius explains, this is what happened to me. Peter begins to speak. He said, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism but accepts men from every nation. Not just the Jewish nation, not just the Italian nation, not just the United States, but he accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. Now drop down to verse 39. After he's saying all this, he shares the gospel with him. He says, we are witnesses of everything that he, Jesus, did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen. Now, he's sharing the gospel with people who previously, he even said in a previous verse, hey, it's not even legal among Jewish culture for me to come into your house. But God has shown me that, hey, he accepts everyone, so I'm going to step into your house. And now he's sharing the gospel with people that if he had passed by on the street and they were bleeding, he wouldn't stop to give them a Band-Aid. He couldn't have coffee with them. He couldn't work in a cube next to them. But now he's sharing the gospel with them. And then in verse 44, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on even the Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in other tongues. I'm going to put the last two verses up on the screen, because this is what he says. In verse 47, he says, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. Now, a baptism is not what makes you a Christian. It is what you do after you become a Christian. After God has filled you with his Holy Spirit and you've received him, uh, then, then, then you say, hey, I'm going to be baptized as an outward ceremony to show that you're now a part of the family of God. And they, Peter says they have received the Holy Spirit just as we have, so he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to stay with them a few days. And even if you ignore the fact that they asked him to stay a few days, and he did, 
despite the fact that he wasn't even, wouldn't have even stepped in her house days ago. Here, let me just summarize this. Peter, who is Jewish, and not anti-Italian, but anti-anyone who is not Jewish, Peter, who, who is like, hey, I want my government, my nation to be free, not oppressed, and Peter, who is Middle Eastern, goes to the home of a soldier who works for the government that's oppressing his government, and a home that legally, according to his culture, he wouldn't have been able to go into otherwise, goes in and shares the gospel as he's speaking, not after, not after they went home and prayed about it, as he's speaking, they get filled with the Holy Spirit. We know God only pours out the Holy Spirit as a promise seal that you have received him. And then Peter says this, hey, we got to baptize these guys. We have to do a public ceremony to show that they are now part of the same family as us because he says they have the Holy Spirit just like we have, meaning they're just like us. They may be of a different race, but now they're just like us. They may be of a different nationality and look different, but right now, because of the Holy Spirit, they are just like us. They may have a different political view than we do, but because of God's Holy Spirit, they are just like us. And as, as God kind of works in Peter's life and Cornelius' life and brings them together, let me summarize it this way, because we're running out of time. Depending upon your political, racial, whatever views, God only leaves us two possibilities when we look at people that are different than us. The first one is, if you're looking at someone, maybe they're of a different race, or maybe they look different. It's only two possibilities if you are a Christ follower. That's one, that you look at someone of a different race and say, hey, God doesn't call them unclean. So he might send me, just like he sent Peter, to go invite them to be a part of the family, just like he sent Peter to Cornelius himself. But they were a different race. Doesn't matter. That's not how God sees them. So the only way you can look is, hey, someone of a different race, not a Christian, God may send me to invite them to be a part of their family. If they are a Christian, even if they're of a different race, guess what? They're just like us. We're the same. And if you look at someone, maybe not different views, but lots of people who have different cultural views, same thing. If their views are different from yours, only two ways you can look at it. Either God might send me to them to invite them to be part of the family, or if they are a Christ follower, then they have God's Holy Spirit and they are just like us. Especially when we talk about people who are in the church of different denominations. Because we look at different denominations and we say, hey, uh, if they are Christian, maybe they worship differently. Maybe they use a different version Bible. Maybe they're not to hate on the King James only people, but they got to get over it. Because if, if I'm a Christ follower and I only want to read the King James and you're a Christ follower and you want to read all the other versions, here's what God says. We have the same spirit of God. We're the same. They're just like us. And here's the one that's going to challenge a lot of people. Because when you get to the political differences, here's the problem. Give, give me, just, you can yell at me after. Doesn't matter if you're a Hillary fan, a Trump fan, or a Bernie fan, or a fan of anyone else out there. Because God looks at Hillary, Bernie, and Trump, and I don't know what their 
religious, you know, things are. But if they're not Christ followers, God wants them to be a part of the family just like you. And if they are, then you have to look at them and say, hey, they're a part of the family just like me. God doesn't leave room for us to hate on people or fight with people or be at odds with people that are different than us, whether it be because of race or culture or denomination or political differences. If they're not Christ followers, God wants us to go and invite them to be a part of the family. And if they are, then it doesn't matter what they look like, what they think, or, 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 or their you know, cultural differences. If they are a Christ follower, God gave them the same Holy Spirit that he gave us, and they're just like us. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. And uh, we were going to sing, but I just want to close out with a time of prayer. And I'm going to challenge you right now to, to maybe there are people in your workplace or your school uh, that they deal with a lot of this stuff. Maybe they look at people different because of race, or maybe they look at people different because of their culture, or maybe they look at people different because they're a different denomination or have different political views. But what God is trying to impress upon us is that the power of the Holy Spirit has the authority and the capability to overcome every single thing that divides us. And he, he unites us and he calls us together to be family, to be the children of God, that we might not look at each other through race, that we might not look at each other through cultural differences, but that we would be going about inviting every tribe, every nation, and people of every tongue to be a part of the family of God, that they might be filled with his Holy Spirit, know his love and his goodness, just like us. So God, we pray that you would open our eyes to see people the way that you do, to not focus on and dwell on and post about the differences, but to give you praise and glory and honor for the fact that you make us all one in Christ, neither slave nor free, neither Greek nor Roman, neither black nor white, neither rich nor poor, just people whom you look at, you love, and whom you call your family. I pray that you would allow us to see people that way. And we pray this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. And everyone said, amen. Thank you guys. Pray that you had a, sorry about all the technical difficulties, but pray that you had an awesome celebration and pray that we would all go out and treat everyone we meet just like us.